This is episode 24 with Andrew Barnsley. I really enjoyed this conversation. We sat down at his office in Toronto and uh, I learned a lot about the TV industry. Um, obviously, when you work in the music industry, uh, they kind of go hand in hand at some point. Uh, being a musician or singer or whatever you end up doing, you end up doing a lot of TV work. So you're always fascinated by uh, what goes on behind the scenes there. And Andrew is the executive producer of Shit's Creek, um, a really popular show with Eugene Levy. And he is also launching a new show with Jan Arden uh, called Jan, and that's coming out real soon. So keep your eyes open for that one. It's going to be uh, really great. Uh, we sat back and talked TV and uh, his career, and it's really fascinating. We have some mutual friends. Um, we end up talking a lot about our good friend Brian Edwards, and Brian uh, is, uh, has an earlier podcast with me. And uh, once you finish this one, you might want to go back and take a listen to uh, Brian's, uh, I believe it's episode three, I think, right off the top. So uh, it's a good one to listen to as well. If you want to check things out, I'm available on iTunes in session with Darren Walters. Make sure you leave some comments and leave those like buttons. And also DarrenWaltersPodcast.com. You can find me there. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, Darren Walters one, the number one on Instagram. And just say hello. I'd love to talk to you. All right, sit back and enjoy. And this is uh episode with Andrew Barnes. We're rolling. Great. With Andrew Barnsley. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. For making the drive to Toronto, nice to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, it's a cool, cool building here. Yeah, um, we're in uh, Pinewood Studios. Yeah, which um, is I think it's one of the largest production facilities in terms of stage space in North America. I know they have, I think it's the largest stage in North America, just you know about 200 feet from here. Wow, it's like an acre indoors. So what what happens there? What's like some of the big things that have happened well, right now? Um, Star Trek is being shot here. Really? Star, Star Trek has taken over the whole place. Wow. Um, but I started my, I first came here in, boy, about five years ago, I think. So yeah, 2013, I had a, I had a series ordered. I had a pilot ordered from uh, CTV. It was a, a multicam sitcom, a multi-camera sitcom called Spun Out. It was starring Dave Foley. Yeah. Uh, and we were looking for stage spaces and, and Pinewood was kind of a, it was the prestige space um, for, you know, for production. Yeah. We're like, well, let's go take a look and, and, uh, and see if we could stay there. Cause it's, it was a brand new building. Um, and when we came, this is five years ago, we were the only tenant here. Really? We were the only production. And, and uh, then, you know, within about three years, we, saw, we shot the first season of, first, we shot the pilot of, of Spun Out here. We shot uh, the series. Yeah. Then we shot Shit's Creek here, the first season. Yeah. Uh, and then we did Spun Out, and then we did Shit's Creek, and then the volume of production coming to Toronto became so big that it was impossible to get stage space. Wow. And um, and uh, we haven't shot anything here. I haven't shot anything here in I'm gonna say three years, but um, but we still keep our offices here. Yeah. So it's it's a great place to be. There's a bunch of small um, Canadian companies here, but then there's a lot of sort of production offices that, that handle sort of the big uh, US shows. So, so Star Trek is here um, and there's a few other, you know, 
Guillermo del Toro shoots all his movies here. Oh, yeah. 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 So it's a, it's a fun place to be. You never oh, know yeah. who, who you're going to bump into. Do you get a chance to zip over there or is it pretty secure? Like it's you, pretty secure. It, yeah. It's pretty secure. And and uh, me telling the story made me realize maybe I wasn't supposed to say Star Trek <laughs> here, but I think it's fine. I think people that yeah. know, know. Um, but no, they they we can't get onto stages or anything like yeah. that. It's... it's um, it's pretty buttoned down. You just can't go walk your dog, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, sorry, I'm, I didn't realize yeah. I was here. Yeah, I mean, you can walk, you can walk through sort of the grounds and, and yeah. around here, but in terms of kind of getting onto a stage and seeing what kind of spaceship is being built, you you can't really do that. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. It's kind of neat that you know I think people drive by and they have no idea that's happening right there. No you idea. Know? No idea. Yeah, I mean, you. And that's think, the way you want it. It's the way you want it, and I think people sort of don't realize how much of a production hub Toronto has become yeah. for both domestic and, and international productions. Um, you know, I'm going to quote some numbers that are probably a little bit off, but um, last year, I believe there was about $2.5 billion in terms of, of production in Toronto, wow. which you think about that, that's a, that represents a huge industry. Yeah. Um, Toronto now has infrastructure, world-class infrastructure for, for film and television production. We have world-class crews. So it's really become a destination yeah. for not only for domestic producers and productions, but also a lot of U.S. productions are coming up here as well. And a dollar doesn't hurt. The dollar helps uh, a lot. Uh, so does a reliable tax credit system. Oh, yeah. So that's that's an incentive as well that has really helped build, build the industry in Ontario. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, and it's, like you said, it's a lot of people just don't realize it's going on, which is kind of neat. They can come and be quiet and yeah, and yeah. Uh, do their thing, and unless and they're shooting downtown Toronto or right, yeah. But this mm-hmm. is a place people can kind of just show up for work. Yeah, you know, they're you know there's secure to get it get in, so people feel that they can kind of just be themselves, and you know, yeah. it feels like coming to work. But the other thing it too is kind of as the industry has evolved, Toronto's evolved as a city as well. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of you know things like. The fact that there's nightlife, the fact that there's world-class restaurants, the fact that, you know, uh, it's a cultural destination, that all attracts sort of executives and talent to Toronto. And it's a place where they, they want to be and don't mind coming to work for, you know, weeks or months or whatever the case yeah. may be. And it's a relatively safe place, too. It is. Yeah, yeah. I think that yeah, makes it really a, is. a big, you know, everyone knows that Canadians are nice people and it's a safe place up here. And Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Toronto has its problems, but... It's not like yeah. For a big city, know. though, it, yeah. it works. You know, you know, you probably had to fight some traffic on the way in, but you know, it's just it. It is what happens when you live in a place yeah. like Toronto. So, so did you, uh, being a TV guy, did you watch the Super Bowl this weekend? I did. Yeah, I did watch the Super Bowl. So what did you think? Well, I'm not a huge football fan, but I do yeah. like to to tune in for event television. Uh, I, I mean, I, you know, you look at Brady and it is phenomenal, the career he's had and, and yeah. kind of how he still is able to deliver. But, you know, when, what was it, 3 nothing going into the half, that, that doesn't make for a, a fun football game to watch, particularly for somebody who's not watching a lot of football. Yeah. You know, you kind of, as, a, as uh, somebody who doesn't watch a lot, it's, you want to see the high-scoring games and a lot of offense, but it really was a defensive game. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I, you know, I thought the same thing. And so, what did you think of the uh, halftime show? <laughs> this is, I, I mean, it was fine. It was fine. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I thought, uh, but it, but it really felt a bit too maroon fivey for me. Felt really safe. Yeah, it felt safe. There's I mean, nothing wrong with it. I found, no. but there was nothing that I could say that I need to watch that again. No, but I know even, when Bruno Mars was on, 
I, I found myself, I, I want to watch that again. Um, yeah. But the stuff I, I was looking forward to, I was looking forward to Travis Scott and I was looking forward yeah. to, to um, Big Boy. Right. And they were just on for, you know, a very brief amount of time. Like I felt yeah. like they, they could have relied or, or programmed that a bit more um, with those with, with those acts. But, you know, it was it was fine. I'm going to say it's that. kind of a no win situation to do it that is. now. Yeah. And I think it's become such a um, I mean, you hear more about the halftime show afterwards than you do about the actual game. Yeah. And you almost want and it almost seems to be a thing, um, a stronger point to not do it now. Right. Then. Well, everyone, everyone's so politically charged, yeah. too. So you're kind of up against that as an artist. You know, you're making you're making decisions that that are beyond artistic decisions too. When you yeah. when you decide to go on an event, yeah, large scale event with huge audiences as well. But one of the reasons I really wanted to watch the Super Bowl this week is um, we have a new show that's that's airing on uh, on CTV here in Canada, and yeah. we had our first promo during the Super Bowl. Awesome! So it was nice to see that. So unfortunately, I'm I'm a direct TV subscriber. So you were getting you were getting the US feed. That's okay. I'll tell you all about US it. Feed. I shouldn't be saying that on the podcast either. But um, but yeah, I have been. When you live out in the country, it's uh, oh yeah. Uh, you have some choices and you have to make. Yes, and that's, that's fair. I made several that is fair. Years yeah, ago. yeah, yeah. But uh, I won't hold that against. You. Yeah. So that must have been pretty exciting to see that pop. It up. was really exciting. Yeah. You know, it was our first real promo for the show. Um, and to have it seen by, you know, a, a big audience like that, it really creates a lot of buzz all of a sudden. Um, and it makes the show real. So, you know, all of us who've been working on, this is a show that um, we're, we're producing for CTV starring Jan Arden. Yeah. It was created by Jan and um, a couple other creators, um, writers. Um, and, you know, the... The runway you need on a series to develop to develop it, to pitch it, to sell it, to get it to air is, you know, this is three years in the making. So yeah. so to to finally um, see it broadcast, see that your show is actually going to be on air, uh, it it's it's quite quite a feeling. You know, yeah. there's there's pride, there's joy, you know, there's you know, you just feel um, you know, you think about the journey that you've been on to get here and uh, it's it's remarkable. And it's just nice to know that all this work that, that we've we've put into something is actually going to be seen. And, and it was during the Super Bowl, which is, it was during the Super I Bowl. mean, that's you can't get any better advertising no, slot exactly. than that. Yeah. If you put sort of the we all know sort of the dollar figure of those ad times. And yeah. uh, so to have a presence during the Super Bowl is pretty great. Yeah. So let's talk for people who don't know yeah. what you do now. Let's. Let's give a brief description of your um, kind of your job title here, and then we'll go yeah. back kind of yeah, a few good. years and start from the beginning okay. and see. But I think that'd be a good, uh, good start to uh, yeah. let people know what you do. Yeah, it's actually a really good question. I get asked it a lot what I actually mm -hmm. do. And I think, you know, I've been at it for, you know, professionally for about 15 years now. And I think my parents now just know what I do. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, uh, it, it takes. It, it's a bit of an elusive title and it's a title. I'm, the title is executive producer. Uh, and I also run a company called Project 10 Productions. Um, and we have office, we have an office in Toronto, here in Toronto, woman in Los Angeles as well. Um, but, and, and the thing with it, the title executive producer can mean different things to different people. Yeah. So how I define it and how it defines me 
is it's really focusing on the business side of television. So I tend not to get my hands too dirty with the creative, uh, the creative side of it. Um, I find the easiest way for me to explain what I do is to explain the relationships I have. Yeah. So, so my relationships are with talent, which is, you know, it can be a star, stars, uh, it can be writers, it can be show creators. So that, you know, I have those relationships with talent, but then I also have relationships with the buyers. Yeah. So those are the broadcasters, the distributors, the studios, and then sort of diving further into sort of the business side. I have relationships with banks, accountants, yeah. lawyers, agents, that sort of thing. The money so side. Yeah. The money side. So, yeah. you know, you know, kind of, so what, how, how, how it kind of plays out is, uh, if, if me as a producer or, or this company want to start a project, typically what happens is we take a pitch. Yeah. Um, we hear a pitch from somebody who has a show idea. We sort of make a determination of whether or not it's something we want to invest resource in, time, money, bandwidth, that sort of thing. Um, and, and the determination that we make or the analysis we make is really, is this something, A, we want to potentially dedicate years of our lives to, yeah. um, but also is this something that we think can sell? Is this a story or a world that, that we want to back and we want to um, get out into the world and, and have audiences consume. Um, and then we kind of think about where we can take it. So we, we spend some time, if, if we do find an idea we like, we tend to build a team around the idea. Yeah. Um, generally that's sort of creative support, whether it's adding a writer or what we call a showrunner or some story editors to help sort of bolster the creative. And then we take it to market. So, you know, we take it to sort of our broadcasting partners, find out if it's something that people are interested in, if there, and if uh, broadcasters want to support it. And, and then what you look to do is you look to have a broadcaster come on board and, and develop the show so with you. There, yeah. So that means um, ordering, having scripts ordered. Yeah. So, you know, we hope to, to sell a couple scripts and then we spend, normally it takes a, a, a phase of development takes about a year to go through. So there's a lot of back and forth with the creative team, with the, the broadcaster. It's really about shaping a, a show and finding a world that works for an audience. Yeah. Uh, and then you sort of go through that process. And I don't know the exact ratio, but, but you know, generally I think for every 10 shows that are developed, one might get ordered. Um, so you just hope that you've built the right team and you've found the, you're hitting the right notes and it's something that you know the broadcasters interested in uh, for their channels, and then you hope for uh, a green light and an order for a series yeah. to get ordered. And then that's when that's when kind of my job really starts, which is then where do we find the money? Uh, because it's not just the way that that Canadian television works now. It's not just about domestic product. It's really you really need to. You know, you need to be thinking globally as a as a producer, as a content yeah. creator. So, you know, we we generally don't get fully financed out of out of Canada, which is one territory in in the world. So we have relationships with um, buyers in different territories, including you know other broadcasters, studios, distributors. That that then we start those conversations with, and hopefully can put the pieces together to, to actually make the show. Yeah. Here's a question I've always wondered: How often do you get? Uh, 
in a circumstance of financing a show, would you have private backers? Like people with lots of money just for looking us, to put. For us, it's very rare. Very rare. Yeah, yeah. It does, we tend, our, our financing, and our financing comes from, um, I can kind of walk through where the money comes from. Uh, on a Canadian show, it comes from a broadcaster in the form of a license fee. Yeah. Uh, and then there are some public and private funds that we tap into, the biggest being uh, Canada Media Fund. Mm -hmm. So they support, I think it's a $200 million fund, so they support um, Canadian television across you know, all, all broadcasters, um, broadcasters, Canadian broadcasters get envelopes of money allocated to them. Um, some of that takes the form of equity, some of it takes the form of what they call a license fee top up. Uh, and then there's two tax credit programs for Ontario producers. There's a provincial program and a federal uh, program. And then that generally gets you about 75 to 85% financed. Yeah. Um, and then you look to either the producers to invest. You know, we, we will invest in our own shows if, if we feel there's, we're gonna sell it around the world. Yeah. Um, or you, you lean on your relationships with distributors, international distributors that might come on board with uh, an advance yeah. against future sales, and that's how you close your financing. But so, private equity private equity actually um, will grind your tax credits. Oh, yeah. So there are some downsides to it if you're within the sort of the traditional broadcast model. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, because it's not too far off of a singer's career to some degree. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of parallels there too. Yeah. Finance and, and, and in Canada too, where mm -hmm. it is, there are public subsidies that have built the the industry yeah. as well. And it's it's interesting to look at sort of those public subsidies in the context of music, where there have been huge stars that have come out of Canada as a result of that, like um, you know the quota system, Cancun quota system, that sort of thing. Yeah. And what's interesting now, where sort of the talent on the music side has really found international footing for decades, you know, but it hasn't really happened on the TV side until recently. Right. So now we're starting to see, you know, international hits coming out of Canada, um, shows that are traveling. And that is a large part to do with the support we get on the on the public side of things. Yeah. And there's a, it seems to be big support when it comes to a lot of the kind of HDTV shows you see, you, you know, at the yeah. end you see those scrolling by and, and, you know, you see that big Canada well, you'll see it yeah. on every show yeah. that's, that's produced out of Canada. You and know? It, but there's a lot, you know, you see a lot of the HDTV shows are all yeah. Canadian financed. That's right. Shows and oh, you even mean even on the, the U.S. On feeds. the U.S. Yeah, feeds, on your yes. direct TV yeah. feed. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Did I bring that up again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, those shows yeah. are traveling. and uh, and A large majority, yeah. you see. That's yeah. right. That's right. Which is... Uh, which is neat to see because yeah. I think a long time ago or not that long ago that um, the Canadian shows really stayed in Canada, didn't they? Do some That's extent. how the system was yeah. built. Like yeah. you used to, you know, it's not that long ago, um, producers, Canadian producers really just looked at Canada as where you would sell your show, where you would make your money and it would live domestically. It was very rare for shows to travel outside and, and a you know, and a consequence of that is that Producers just thought that way. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't think globally. And now, just the way the funding has changed, um, the 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 way quality of television has sort of dramatically increased, and and the the demands on 
uh, production value that consumers expect, it's really changed sort of the conversation and the business model where now domestic producers really need to think internationally and need to have the international relationships to actually yeah. have a sustainable business. So what, what do you think has made the Canadian productions, uh, like the quality of them, much, so much better than they, they used to be? Um, yeah. Is it there's just that many more qualified people up here or is it just everyone's just kind of buttoned up and I think so I mean it takes a while for an industry to grow and evolve and and get to a certain standard Um, budgets would be some to some degree right Um, yeah budgets have increased mm -hmm. in in Canadian shows because uh, you know we all we all want to compete globally now we all want to kind of leave our mark and build global brands Um, um, but a couple things you know uh, the, the industry in Canada has grown so much in the last 20 years, and a lot of that has to do with um, you know, things like tax credits, reliable tax credit systems, the dollar, uh, that sort of thing. And then infrastructure follows. So you actually kind of create an infrastructure, you create a talent pool of, of skilled labor, uh, and you know, it just, the, the industry continues to elevate and elevate and elevate. Another factor as well is that a bit of an equalizer um, you know the big one of the big distinctions between Canada and U.S. in terms of production value for such a long time, well, and this is really simplifying things. But U.S. shows were shot on film, and Canadian shows were shot on video, and yeah. that that was just an aesthetic. There was such an aesthetic difference between between um, Canadian shows and and U.S. shows. That's that's not the case anymore with the transition to digital. Every you know we're all using the same cameras, we're all lighting the same way. Yeah. Um, so that really leveled the playing field on the tech, technological side, um, and that 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 has kind of made the production value sort of leveled out the production value of those. Um, so there's a couple factors at play here, but you know when when. Uh, you know, I go to Los Angeles and they say the shows that, that I've made, like nobody, th- there used to be a time, there was a time where people thought they didn't want to touch Canadian shows. And we've kind of, and, and it's not just shows I've made, um, um, you know, Orphan Black's a great example. There's, you know, there's, it started with Flashpoint. Yeah. Um, we can make the argument it started with Flashpoint, where just the production values were, were there where you couldn't differentiate before. Yeah. You know, and, and Canadians used to do that. When I was in, when I went to school for television, you know, we always talked about, how you could just turn a turn the TV on and you could recognize right away what's Canadian, what isn't. Yeah, you know, that's I mean, not you, the case. You did anymore. on the radio too. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I found. Why um, is that? Uh, you know, that's a tough one too. Yeah. And um, I think part of that was the same thing. You know, yeah. uh, people went to Nashville and right. uh, people went to drain. LA, yeah. went to New York, uh, and there was just a bigger talent pool. Uh, better studios, um, and it just got done better because they were doing it all the time. Um, and now I think it's hard to tell um, when I listen to the radio now, uh, Canadian production or Canadian yeah. artists come on, and I'm like, I wonder if that was recorded here or if that was recorded somewhere else. I don't know. I, I but I used to know right away. Say, oh, here's a Canadian artist, and I wouldn't. They wouldn't in, even intro the artist name or here's the next song that started, and I would know. Oh, here's a Canadian right. artist. Um, That's interesting. Well, I but think now I don't find that difference now. You're right too about talent. Like I mean, with talent, it was often the case, and it kind of to you know 
for a long time and to a certain degree still now it was all you know on the tv side the film side it was like how do i get to hollywood how do i get to la how yeah. do i do that and now you 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 know we're starting to see a lot of talent like name you know recognized talent wanting to come back and work in canada and they you know it's home and it's time to come back but they also you know the the, the cities like Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal have a lot to offer yeah. where it doesn't feel like the boonies anymore. Like it actually, there's a lot going on and they're global cities. Yeah. Um, so you're not, you're not necessarily having the same fight to bring talent home. Yeah. You know that, and that, cause that, that would be, I would imagine something similar to the music side where, where people are just like, how, when, how do I get out of here? How do I? Yeah. I guess they want to, they can they can do so much from home now. Yeah, um, it's yeah. not you know it's not an issue. Um, you know you can make conference calls. You can you yeah. can be your emails so fast. You can text so fast, and it's before you'd almost have to make a meeting to see somebody. Exactly. And, and now you can reach out to somebody that you don't know via Instagram, and they might get back to you. Yeah, exactly. You know, they might look at your profile and say, "Hey, that looks like a yeah. cool person," and they might say, "Hey, back." You might yeah. say something to a a star on Twitter. And they might reply back to you. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty fun time. Yeah, that didn't happen no. before. You'd have to run into them at a, you know, a restaurant or something yeah. by chance to say hello. Yeah. Um, and have to be in LA or you know wherever. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, how much does uh, things like Netflix and the internet and YouTube and all these things has that made Canadian productions? Uh, more accessible to people as well is that yeah, play into it yeah yeah um you know when you know we're on the selling side so when mm -hmm. when when you know netflix shows up or amazon shows up or you know youtube now has you know uh, they're buying content they're, we just see them as buyers now where before we were really limited to sort of conventional buyers being sort of networks and that sort of thing so there are there are more opportunities in yeah. terms of sellers uh, in terms of buyers, but uh, the other thing too is that you know these become huge forces, huge cultural forces. Like Netflix has just changed the landscape, and it just makes so much content available at any time. Yeah, uh, you're not sort of beholden to a linear schedule anymore. So um, we've seen this with Shit's Creek, where you know when Shit's Creek moved to. Um, all the episodes became available on Netflix yeah. uh, in the U.S. That happened, I think, after we'd been on air for three years. Um, it just changed the conversation. It really, like, the show was discovered, and it was this slow boil that finally, you know, it became a bit of a, a bit of a phenomenon and had like this cultural impact that, yeah. you know, you kind of hope that happens, and you kind of hope that the shows that you work on will resonate but it's been it's been incredible how the show has gained traction and support around the world and so much of that has to do with the platform of netflix netflix the reach of netflix yeah. um and and it's really kind of just changed the conversation around the show yeah it's you know i was just thinking now when we grew up um i'm sure we're not too far yeah. in age difference yeah. there was a lot of local tv shows yeah you know, I grew up in, where'd you grow up? I grew up, uh, I was born in Southern Alberta. I lived in okay. Lethbridge, Alberta until I was 12. And then my family moved east. So I went to high school in Halifax. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll get back to that. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the Kitchener area. So we had our CTV local station there. 
and they produced a lot of shows. Yeah. And our family, you know, we had uh, multiple shows on CKCO and a syndicated show across Canada. Um, and but they did that, right. you know, had Bowling for Dollars. You yeah. know, it was a big yeah, show. Yeah. And um, so now you look at any local channels besides maybe yeah. their local news. There's not a lot there's of There's nothing. Yeah, there's nothing. No. Yeah, that that that's something that has really changed in terms of the landscape. And and But maybe that's has brought some degree you look at it's made these other shows that much better, right? Yeah, it's Every a global audience. Show. Like I, yeah. I think, you know, the producers that survive and succeed are the ones that think globally and it's yeah. just a, how do we how do we make something special? here in Canada that we think we'll find an audience around the world. You know, <clears throat> my challenge has been that I've really been focusing on comedy. That's really been, um, you know, for my whole career, I've been, I've been doing scripted comedy, producing scripted comedy and comedy is one of the toughest uh, genres of show to sell internationally because comedy tends to be very domestic, very yeah. local. Um, so sensibilities, co- Comedic sensibilities tend not to travel. So what's funny to you and me here in, in Canada isn't necessarily funny to some somebody in, you know, New Zealand. Yeah. Or, or you know, it, it, and because it is a global world, it, it's probably not funny to somebody in Italy, too, yeah. when, it, when it gets translated and that sort of thing. So on the comedy side, it can be a bit tough. And it's also, I think, one of the reasons, I mean, there's been a real shift in what comedy is on TV right now. We've really moved away from these um, big, broad sitcoms that you know have a laugh track that are shot in front of live audience that yeah. really rely on how many jokes per page. It really was, you know, there were jokes, joke counts. And, and now sort of the trend for comedy has, has moved away from dro- joke-driven content to really character-driven content. So the comedy yeah. comes from the character, comes from the situation rather than the jokes. Yeah. And I think that's why you know, I think that's why we're starting to see a bit of the appetites are changing around comedy where character does translate. Character does translate to different cultures. Story translates, but it's the jokes that don't. So with comedy moving away from jokes, yeah. Th- does that make sense to you? Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. So if you're if 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 you're relying on the the comedy to come from the characters in those situations, that that's more likely to translate than if it's just delivery is yeah. even more important now than it ever was. Where the line could almost sell it where it's almost physical. Yeah, the way you know you watch it makes you laugh just as much right. as the line. Yeah, makes exactly. Laugh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and you know, there's joke writing is such a craft and it's such a skill, um, um, but when when it comes from character, that's where you that's where you see people are picking up. People are in, audiences invest in character now the ways they haven't yeah. ever before. People talk about characters like they're their friends and they're like what will so and so do on the next episode they're really invested in character and uh, I think partially too is that they can follow the character on social media correct. and yeah. feel that they it's not this elusive person right. that they've you know may never and the actor follow. the character and the yeah. actor yeah. you know you can have a connection with a big star because you know they're giving you updates multiple times a day and yeah. have things to say and connect to you and, and that draws work. you in like it does draw time. you in and it, it adds to the whole experience as a as a fan yeah too no it's a really interesting time to to be sort of a content consumer oh yeah yeah i, I can't imagine where it's gonna go i mean it's it's I know. you know i think it was stayed a certain way for so long 
and now it's really ramping and changing. Um, I don't, you know, it's hard to predict what's going to happen. I mean, I mean, with the technology changing and uh, you know, being able to have you know my iPhone right here, yeah. and I can have any TV show I want. Yeah, right in, away. in a second, yeah. right here, yeah. wherever I go. That's um, yeah, wild. Yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. So let's go back. So you mentioned you grew up in Lethbridge for a while. I did. Yeah. 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 I was born and raised there. Been there many times. Yeah. It's on a bunch of shows there. Yeah. Yeah. It's hasn't uh, changed much. It has not changed much. I went back there. Um, uh, yeah. Last year I went back there and spent some, I still have some friends there and uh, it hasn't really changed much, yeah. but um, it was nice to, to stay connected to, to Alberta and Southern Alberta. Um, but, but I lived there until I was 12. And then, um, and then my family moved to Nova Scotia, sort of the other side of the country. Yeah, it's a big move. It was a big move. It was a big move. And so, uh, what, what made that move happen? Uh, my father, it was a my father's an, was an academic and an administrator, so he went. Uh, the, the family moves because uh, there was an opportunity for him, a professional opportunity for him, oh. and uh, it just made sense. So we, we went there. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and uh, and you know that's where I went to high school. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I loved Halifax a lot, but it was tough. I mean, it's tough when you cross the country, when you're going into grade eight and, uh, it was, it was a very lonely time. Um, and, and it was a very kind of formative time for me. Um, it's, it, what, what's interesting is, is I really kind of feel I found comedy at that point in my life where, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what it's, there's a couple of factors at play here, but it was around the time where cable was starting to, to change television and there were, there was a lot more channels. Um, I remember A&E was a channel at the time and they had Evening at the Improv and yeah. that was, so I found kind of like stand-up comedy. Um, Eddie Murphy had released, I think it was uh, Delirious around yeah. that time and, and we found, you know, Delirious and Raw, those were stand, very, very um, formative stand-up moments for me yeah. um i found mad magazine oh, yeah. i uh <laughs> and and from a canadian side i found uh, kids in the hall and i found codco and yeah. that's really where I, I i feel my connection to comedy was really crystallized where um i became a bit of a comedy nerd and really kind of just wanted to consume and experience as much as i could and a lot of it had to do, I think, with being, you know, a lonely teenager um, um, who just wanted to laugh, too. And I kind of saw the value of comedy and the fact that it was sort of the escapist side of it and how it could sort of make you feel good. And, yeah. and uh, you know, kind of the, the value that laughter and comedy could bring to, to people. And, and it also brought people together. Like, I remember watching those shows with my family and kind of really enjoying that, having that sort of collective experience as well. Um, but that's, that's really where, you know, it takes time to kind of, when you look back, it takes time for you to look back and see sort of the moments that shaped who you are. Yeah. Um, so did you have, you're in high school. Yeah. What kind of interest did you have? Did you, obviously, you know, it's not like being a musician, you started playing guitar when you were three and, yeah. or, you know, so what were those, kind of hobbies that you had and and obviously you said comedy was one of those things but yeah. did you have any well i don't think it was it it 
it wasn't comedy wasn't really a hobby in the sense that I was writing or performing or anything like that. Yeah. I really just enjoyed being a fan and and consuming it. And that. Um, for me, what I what I kind of did in terms of extracurricular activities, I wasn't a bad student. I I you know in, enjoyed learning. I enjoyed going to school. I I liked um, the social side of it. So I mean, I did go from you know having a a lonely start when I moved uh, out there, but you know, developed friendships and that sort of thing. So I, I got involved in student government and student leadership yeah. uh, in high school. Um, and I, you know, and I played hockey while I, while I was out there as well. So I kept active with, with hockey, but I was really involved in the school community in, in terms of student government and, and um, leadership. And I kind of, it's kind of when I first started you know, flexing some entrepreneurial muscles as yeah. well. And, um, you know, we, we, as a fundraiser, when I was, uh, um, in student council, I remember we started like a clothing line that I think to this day still exists okay. at the high school. <laughs> um, um, and we involved, we, I was one of the founders of a, uh, a larger sort of student, um, organization, sort of a student government organization. So we, we, brought the whole, all the, we, we were kind of the executive of this high school organization that brought all other sort of high school student executives together for the first time oh, and yeah. created like a, a student organization for the province of Nova Scotia. So I kind of had sort of large, sort of ambitious um, tendencies as early as, you know, grade it's 11, almost, grade 12. You could see that you had uh, skills that you're doing now back yeah. then, like organizational yeah. skills, organization, team um, building, yeah. sort of project oriented. Um, um, th that's definitely, you know, and a lot of that is sort of navigating, uh, uh, well, it's sales too. It's kind yeah. of like you're pitching all the time. You're, you're, you're having to understand sort of systemic power structures, that sort of thing. And how do you navigate that to, to move things in particular directions? So yeah, like I was, kind of flexing those muscles early on without knowing what I was doing. It was just yeah. sort of, I was goal oriented. I was like, you know, this is where we want to end up. How do we get there? What, what's the team we need to build? What are the, the milestones that we need to hit to get there? So you finish up high school yeah. and uh, out in Halifax, where'd you find yourself um, to do after that? Yeah, it's sort of an interesting story. Um, I ended up going to a very small liberal arts university called Mount Allison University. Mm -hmm. And at the time, and it still may be, it was, I don't know if you remember, but McLean's Magazine used to yeah. rank the universities and, and it was consistently, you know, one of the top universities. And my parents were academics, my dad was in the university business. And, you know, that just seemed like the right place to go. Um, you know, I'd get a good education, you know, you know, set me in the right direction for a career. Had no idea what I wanted my career to be. Uh, and I moved to Sackville, New Brunswick, which, you know, the population of that town doubles in September when the student cool, body yeah. shows up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was there for two years and it I, I went hoping that something would speak to me. I yeah. didn't have a plan. Uh, I was waiting for a program to be like, okay, this or a course that would just be like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm committed to doing. Yeah. And it never happened. And after two years, I just really started to think about, you know, where am I going? What am I doing? Is this it? Like I did not, I had enough awareness to kind of know that that was a very important time in my life in terms of starting a path. Yeah. Um, 
And I just made the decision in my third year of university that this wasn't for me. Um, I wanted to, you know, it, and it kind of comes back to McLean's for a second. It was that the third year I was in university, I, there was um, McLean's, the university issue. I was just going through it and I saw that there was a program, a university program at Ryerson here in Toronto called Radio and Television Arts. And it had kind of never dawned on me that that was an option, yeah. that I could go to university and make TV. Like I kind of, I felt there always was this pull to something creative, something media oriented. Um, but I just didn't know what that meant yeah. or how to how to do that. Uh, and then when I saw that it actually was, and you know, my parents being academics, I knew it was important for me to go to university. Um, I knew it was important to get a degree, and it felt like it was a bit of a loophole that I'd found where it's like, okay, yeah. I can get a degree in television. <laughs> um, um, so that was kind of that became. A, uh, a goal and an ambition of mine is how do I how do I get to do that? So yeah. um, I dropped out of school and I ended up doing a uh, uh, joining a group of sort of young students and well not just young students young people. There was a um, an organization that was sponsored by and funded by the Rotary Club of Canada and I just found this myself and basically it was. Um, a program that sort of went from high school to high school across the country. There were six teams uh, going and talking to students about how to get more involved, how to become more active, how to, how to kind of avoid kind of complacency, how do you kind of understand leadership. Um, and it was, a, it was a program that really spoke to me and I ended up joining that after I dropped out of school. Uh, did that for roughly a semester and it gave me a sense of kind of learning about audience, learning what it meant to, to have content that spoke to, yeah. to people um, directly. And, and that that can kind of, you know, maybe initiate cha change and confidence and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I did that um, with the idea that I wanted to do something that would kind of, I could, I could leverage to get into to Ryerson and show that I had an interest in media. Um, so I applied to Ryerson. And they came back to me and they said, listen, you've already done two and a half years of university. Why don't you finish your degree and, and come back, reapply when you're done. And uh, there's, a, there's a two year program. So if you already have certain, right. certain courses, you can fast track this degree. You don't need to take all the, the electives or, or sort of the, the foundational courses. You can yeah. focus on just the, the radio and television arts program. So uh, I was like, okay, that makes sense. So I ended up, I, but I knew that Mount Allison didn't offer anything that I wanted to do. So I, I transferred to Carleton University to study film studies. Yeah. And I studied film studies and really uh, got with the idea of I really wanted to get a foundation in visual storytelling, kind of understand what it meant. So I studied film, uh, not production, sort of film theory, mm -hmm. um, um, film analysis for two years at Carleton, got my degree in film studies. And while I was, and this is kind of part of the story as well, while I was in Ottawa, I was, that was 1995, and there had just been a federal election. Oh, and I kind of have to back up a little bit too. Um, um, being sort of ambitious and not having terrible grades, I knew I was going to Ottawa for, to school. And just by chance, I saw, 
or I think an ad was put in front of me for um, a job on Parliament Hill mm-hmm. to be a page in the Senate oh, yeah. of Canada. And it was funny, back then, they only hired from one province or one region every year. Yeah. So if you weren't, if you were the right age, but not in the right region, you weren't eligible to to apply. Yeah. So I was in New Brunswick. My family had moved to Fredericton by that point. My dad moved to a different university. Um, so I was in New Brunswick and that just happened to be the year that the Senate of Canada was hiring pages from New Brunswick. Um, and I ended up getting a job in the Senate of Canada as a page. That's cool. Yeah, it was really cool. So I, I went to, to Ottawa. I was going to study film studies. I was going to have a job on Parliament Hill. And shortly after moving to Ottawa, or shortly before moving to Ottawa, there had been a federal election and there was a new, uh, new government. And there was a new member of parliament from Fredericton. Yeah. So me being 20 years old, not knowing anything, uh, just being naive, I was like, you know, I'm new to Ottawa. I'm new to Parliament Hill. There's a new member of Parliament from Fredericton. Why don't I give him a call and see if he wants to hang out? Uh, So I called him. It was a guy by the name of Andy Scott. And um, he's like, yeah, sure, let's let's go for lunch. And it was we went for lunch at the parliamentary restaurant. And it was just a bit of a clunky conversation. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, neither of us knew why we were there really to like what, <laughs> what are we talking about like but we we had the lunch and at the end of the lunch uh andy kind of said what what do you want to do like what are, what are your career ambitions and and uh you know what what are you studying all that kind of stuff but where do you want it where do you want to end up and i think it was probably one of the very first times i said out loud that i want to be a television producer and he looked at me he's like you want to be a television producer? I'm like, yeah, I think that's what I, what I want to do. He's like, it's, he said, it's funny you say that. He's like, I have a TV show where every week we report back, we talk about um, what's happening in Ottawa and, and how it relates to the, the constituents of Fredericton. Yeah. He said, if you want to host and produce it, it's yours. Wow. So I was like, yeah, okay. That, that sounds good. Let's, <laughs> let's do that. And, um, uh, I did that for, for two years while I was in, in Fredericton, or sorry, when I was in Ottawa, and every week the tapes got flown to, or sent to Fredericton and got yeah. put on community television. And that was really kind of the first time I, well, it was the first time that I'd done anything in television and kind of really started to see what it meant to be a producer, what it meant to put things together, what it meant to have things go to air. And then from, uh, from that, at the time, I really, really felt I, w- I felt I had to have a plan for what I wanted to to do with my degree, with my my degree, if I got accepted to Ryerson. And um, at the time, I really felt I believe strongly in sort of the the power of television, the 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 ability for television to be a at the time an educational tool, which I still think it can be. Um, um, so I felt I wanted to do. Um, going to children's television. You know, I thought that was kind of the, the path that I wanted to take. Yeah. And and because I wanted to make my, I knew how competitive it was to get into Ryerson for their radio and television arts program, I wanted to make my application undeniable. So after graduating from Carleton, I went to um, uh, St. Thomas University in Fredericton to get my education degree. So I did a one-year program, got my education degree so that I could say, I want to go to children's television and I have the credentials to do it. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. And so 
I did that. And so I got my education degree, applied to Ryerson, got in, and that kind of is where sort of the formal education of television began. So yeah. I did a two-year uh, radio and television arts program, got a degree there. Uh, while I was there, I started interning at CBC um, on a show called Jonavision, and I started to sort of understand the internal mechanics of CBC, started to build relationships that you know I have to this day. Um, and, and once I graduated from radio and television arts, I did my master's degree in communications and culture at Ryerson in New York. And during that time, I produced a feature film as part of my program, and then started my first production company wow. um, with, with somebody who I met on that feature film. And we developed shows while I was a student, a graduate student, and it's just a case of right place, right time, right project. Um, when I graduated with my master's degree, I had a series ordered. So I moved right into being a professional producer. Wow. And that's when I started working with, um, com we sold a show and the broadcaster said, you know, we, we love the idea, we wanted this, but we, you need to sort of work with a, a senior producer. Is there a, somebody that you would, you would like to work with? Um, and in fact, they, they introduced me to a guy by the name of Dave Smith. Dave Smith at the time was running SNS Productions with his brother Steve. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how that, you know, my relationship to, you know, Dave Smith, Steve Smith, and ultimately our mutual friend Brian Edwards, all that kind of came out of yeah. came out of that. So, so Steve Smith for people who are listening yeah. don't know would be Red Green. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So I went so we did this first show, it was called Listen Missy. We did it for a chorus here in Canada. Um, and we worked with Dave Smith under the SNS yeah. banner. Wow. Yeah. So, so you did, and they, so what age do you think was it that you finished in Ryerson? What, Ryerson with my master's degree, I was, well, I was late twenties. I would yeah. have been, I, I would have say that's a lot of yeah, schooling. It's a lot of schooling. Yeah. So, uh, I think I was 28 or 29. So at that time were your parents still uh, were they like, what are you doing? <laughs> kind of. I mean, as long as <laughs> you're still was, in school, as long as I was in school, they were happy. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And then, then they started to see that it was a, you know, there was, it was real work. There was money and you know, I, you know, I wasn't relying on them to subsidize my existence. And, um, and I always had a, I had a couple of degrees I could fall back on if, if yeah. I needed to. I haven't had to use those yet to fall back on, um, but I've certainly used the experiences I got out of those, yeah. those degree programs to help with my career. So, pretty driven. I mean, that's, pretty driven. Yeah, I and mean that's that's a lot in there in that short amount of time. Yeah, I know. I kind of, but it all happened organically. Like yeah. I, I, it never felt like I was, never felt like I was forcing anything. It just, it kind of was who who I was and who I am. Like it, it. You know, I, I spend a lot of time talking to students now and, um, you know, you kind of, you tell people the realities of this business, how tough it is. But for me, it, it really did just happen organically. It never felt forced. It never felt like I was chasing something that I shouldn't be chasing. Yeah. Um, and but I was, you were still making it happen. I was still making it happen, but yeah, it, it happened incrementally. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of look back and it's like, okay, there's a moment where things kind of changed. Here's, there's another moment where things kind of changed. And you kind of just, the, these small building blocks that eventually turn into a real career. Yeah. Yeah, you can see, 
little things like you mentioned when you were the page and you made mm-hmm. the call. I mean, just yeah, what was I thinking? Yeah, like, <laughs> but you made the call. Yeah. but you think you look back. Well, that was probably a turning point. Yeah, hundred percent. And if you wouldn't made that call, yeah. And it's a lesson I learned early on. It's it's sort of like one of the keys to success is just showing up and 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 showing up for me was making the phone call you didn't want to make yeah. or or you felt uncomfortable making. I I really from a very early stage, even when I was well. E- from a very early stage, I was comfortable being uncomfortable, yeah. and and or I was fine being uncomfortable. And I think that that ability to live in discomfort, knowing that I would come out stronger, whatever it was, that really changed kind of my life and the trajectory, professionally and and personally too. Um, um, but going back to to high school, where it was like, okay, I'm you know going to put myself in challenging situations, you know, socially challenging situations and see what, what happens and come out of that. And, you know, it, you know, I kind of had a, a successful high school experience, even though I was somebody who showed up in grade eight and knew nobody. Um, but it was, it was just sort of, there was some weird ambition that was built into me and the ability to kind of, you know, focus in on um, goals I wanted to achieve and just figuring it out and knowing yeah. that a lot of that um, would be uncomfortable. The journey would be uncomfortable. And, and I think there's a lot to learn when you're in an uncomfortable situation. I'm, it makes I'm, you stronger. It, you know, the, it's the only way to grow is to... I threw myself in a lot of uncomfortable situations. Of course, yeah. And I, mean, I think a lot of people do, but you can't be afraid to do it. Now, if I look back to some degree I think I put myself in an uncomfortable position in something that I was somewhat comfortable in right but right. then realize I was comfortable I mean, yeah. you you kind of put yourself but that's well, because f- you, that's where you're heading right that's yeah. what you're focusing yourself towards so if I wanted to I know I put uh, myself in a musician or a type situation where I probably didn't belong right yeah um, but it made me rise to occasion and then on technical end of things you know I, I was thrown into doing sound at at big concerts where I stood behind the console and I looked at it and I was like, um, uh, okay, I have to figure this thing out. I've never been in front of this console before, but the guy next to you doesn't, they they can't know that that's your first time. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you know, you ask the right questions that, you know, doesn't make you look like a fool, but then you have to still somewhat, rise to the occasion yeah. and, and make it deliver. And that, I think those putting yourself in those positions are, is really important. No, it that is kind of, I, I feel that's one of the secrets to success for me yeah. is just making the phone calls. I didn't want to make having the meetings. I didn't want to take. I'm sure you still yes to deal things. with that. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Daily. A, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's how you grow. And I think if you know, not, and it's not for everybody. Like yeah. I, I certainly don't judge people that don't do that but for for me who was driven and ambitious and kind of wanted to leave a mark um that was how i figured out how to do it was just i knew to get to where i wanted to be yeah and and i then i had to be uncomfortable and one of the things i also say to students a lot is and this probably applies to any sort of creative industry is it's the easiest business to quit it's so easy to quit and people tell you to quit yeah. all the time and the signs point to you to quit all the time and it's really just building that thick skin but also knowing 
you can push through it. You can really push through it, having the confidence, wherever that comes from, to push through it. Yeah. Um, um, that that is something that, that I like to sort of tell students, and a lot of them don't like to hear that because you know often if you're presented a reason to quit, most people take it. Yeah. You know, it's it's the easy road. This is not an easy business to kind of build a career in, but if you work hard and like I said, you know these small steps. You know, every day, whatever, whatever it takes, um, you'll get there. Yeah. You know, Especially when you get to a point where you start looking back at them yeah. and you see the small steps that were actually really huge steps, but you yes. didn't realize it. You don't see it at the time. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. taking those risks and, you know, yeah. figuring it out. Like I said yes to everything and, I, and um, because I just needed to learn. I really yeah. need, you know, I t- people ask me how, how I kind of built a career to become a producer and basically what I say I was always a producer you know the only thing that's changed is the budget levels that I deal with like yeah you know when I was a student I was a producer and yeah. you know I, I would kind of put myself into a situation where I could make projects and kind of lead projects um, um, and you know that's it, it kind of was playing for some reason I had this feeling that I should you know play by my own rules or whatever, whatever it is, figure it out myself. Like it was on me. If I was going to figure this out, I, I had to figure it out. And the other thing that kind of got me through it too, is I knew I wanted to make television. Um, and like, I, I was just a kid from Nova Scotia. I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about it, yeah. but in my, in my head and whether it was a mantra or not, it was sort of like, well, somebody has got to make television. Yeah. Well, why, can why can't it be me? Yeah. Like, you know, that, and that sort of got me through it. And it was just sort of, okay, if I want to make television, I have to figure out how television works. I have to figure out who, who makes television. I have to learn from them. And it was just putting myself in those situations to get that, that, those tools and those relationships that would help me move forward. Yeah, that's great. So working with, um, it was SNS, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, productions. What were you, what were you doing with them? So I started, well, basically we had a show. We, we sold this show and I was a producer on the show. I, I was an owner of the show. I had a partnership with, um, with a woman named Jane Ford and, and we owned a small production company that developed IP and, and we ended up selling a sketch comedy show. And so we brought the show into, into SNS and they would act as our executive producer. So they ended up doing kind of the business side, which is what I do now. So I really yeah. learned under kind of the direction and tutelage of Dave Smith and kind of his team, how the business side of television. And so we did a season of that show. So I was a producer on that show, excuse me. And, and Dave was the executive producer along with Jane. And I kind of just learned how money worked. I learned how financing worked. I learned how budgets worked. I learned how cash flow worked, like all these kind of really, you know, basic for me, like these, these, these building blocks of television from the financing that you actually don't learn in school. Yeah. So it was really, I was getting my hands dirty on all that. And then that, that show did not get picked up for a second season. Um, and I went down a couple paths. One was, you know, I was on, I, I became friends with, and this is a, this is a long story, but uh, or it doesn't need to be, but I became friends with a friend of yours, Brian Edwards, who is a tour promoter. Yeah. And, and, uh, because I was working on, we got, we actually sort of knew each other because my, the university, my dad was, um, uh, an administrator at St. Thomas university in Fredericton. 
they gave Stomp and Tom Connors a university, uh, an honorary d degree, honorary yeah. doctorate. And so that kind of started the connection with Brian. I was in university at the time and Tom came to Fredericton and Brian was there. So our, my family and Brian got to know each other a little bit. And then when I moved to Toronto and started working at, or interning at CBC and started getting jobs, a lot of the jobs I was doing, these small freelance gigs, were on live event television. So it was like a Canada Day special, yeah. or we did a we did a show from a uh, concert from Rideau Hall. And my path just kept crossing with, with Brian's. Brian, yeah. And we did a Tommy Hunter special together. And we just developed a friendship um, that remains to this day. We're, we're great friends. And we always just talked about how do we how do we work together? Like, you know, he had he had um, access to this talent and was so great at and is so great at what he does. Uh, and I had this interest in television and production. And we just started talking. It's like, how do we how do we connect the dots on this? So, you know, we put sort of a plan together and started thinking and basically we came up with the idea of wouldn't it be great to film the concerts that that Brian was promoting? So yeah. um, we kind of looked at how do you it became a really interesting business model where you know Brian was promoting these he was having the live live performances that was sort of a revenue stream for him merchandise was a rev revenue stream uh, as well but it's like if we what if we create some content how do we how do we kind of monetize that how do those become revenue streams so well, our first project was with Charlie Pride he's like you know this is a great act I think we'll be able to do something with this and the idea was like, let's film a concert, let's go on the road, let's shoot some behind the scenes documentary style footage, yeah. and let's create a DVD and see what happens with it. So we created this DVD um, um, and it did really well. Uh, you know, Charlie toured with it and, and Brian toured with it. We sold it, you know, it was in Walmarts and Costco's. It became a tour piece of tour merchandise. Yeah. Uh, a live album was released from it. Um, so it was all of a sudden we're like, this was, this was a real success. And in fact, here's the, I have the platinum album. Oh yeah, there it is. Right yeah. Here. yeah. Um, um, and then we're like, okay, well who's next? And next was Stomp and Tom. So we did yeah. one with Stomp and Tom. And what's interesting with that is, you know, I had, I had a connection to Tom, the family, but also as a fan, I'd seen him in concert uh, a few times and we're just like, this will be a real, this is an important project to do. And I got to know Tom really well. I spent a lot of time at his house and we ended up um, selling the show to CTV. And so it became a piece of merchandise and it you know, went to the label, uh, it became a, uh, a platinum selling album for, for or DVD yeah. for them as well. But the real, the real sort of story is that CTV bought it and became their Canada Day special yeah. for that year. I think that was 2006, maybe 2007. And, and it really kind of uh, sort of announced my arrival as an independent producer to CTV. And, you know, then I, I sort of had some bonafide credentials and credits. Yeah. With, with CTV where that kind of changed the conversation as an independent producer. And I was young, I was, you know, <clears throat> 32 at the time. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden I was able to have sort of real meetings and real conversations and start to think about what having a, a, a real production company business would look like. And then, so we, we went through um, uh, Brian's roster. We did, did uh, DVDs with Rita McNeil, yeah, yeah. with the Von Trapps. 
Um, and then, then I went, part of this time, then I went back to s yeah. and I went back there to run development for them and, and any production that we could, we could build. Um, so we got a few productions going there. Um, and then, uh, which was great. We did a comedy series for, um, um, comedy network called Hotbox, which was a fun little sketch comedy series. Yeah. We did, uh, uh, a travel series for outdoor life network called which way to, and then it was around 2000 and 2009, uh, a friend of mine contacted me and he said, listen, there's this opportunity here. Uh, we have an investor and he wants to invest in a production company. If you want to come and run the, um, the independent production side of it, you know, let's, let's make that happen. And so I ended up leaving SNS productions to go do that. And that's project 10, which is where we are right yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. And the investor is a, a guy by the name of Vernon Wells, who used to be the center fielder for the Toronto blue Jays. Yeah. And, uh, so he's just been a, a great friend and, such a, an amazing supporter of what I've been doing and what we've been trying to build for 10 years now. Wow. Yeah. So does he have a, did he have a background interest in that or just a straight? No, he, no. Uh, yeah, he did not have, he didn't have any, he had an interest in it. He had an interest in kind of the idea of creating content and yeah. kind of being involved in, in that. And, you know, there's all, there's something sort of fun and glamorous around TV. TV and yeah. I think, you know, yeah. a lot of athletes you see like that. Um, you know, there's, there's, there are other athletes that have production companies as well, but Vernon really committed to sort of the vision and what we wanted to do and, and kind of how we wanted to get there. Um, he didn't have any experience in it, but, but understood that there was, you know, there were opportunities here. Yeah. That's great. I mean, it's, it, it's a great story. I mean, is, yeah. and, uh, I didn't know your connection went back, uh, with Brian back to the stomp and Tom yeah. Uh, at the university there and all that. So, yeah, um, yeah early days. Yeah. And cause my, um, my relationship with Brian goes back a long, long, long time too. Um, probably back to when I was in my teens. Oh, wow. Um, and then I did the first, uh, stomp and Tom tour, uh, in 92. I think that right. was, um, well, I would have seen you in Sackville. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was there. Um, but, yeah, you know, we probably crossed paths yeah. a couple of times without really yeah. realizing it. So, obviously, you, you, you've done a bunch of productions. Uh, Schitt's Creek is really doing super well. Yeah. Um, let's talk about how that kind of came sure. about. Yeah. Um, again, it's it's sort of a story of relationships, yeah. and we uh, sort of the first big show that Project Ten got going was um, spun out. Uh, which was this sitcom starring Dave Foley. And I had a really hard time on the financing side of it, putting the pieces together and how we were going to make this work. We were looking at a big deficit. Yeah. And it was the first time where I'd been kind of handed the keys to sort of, you know, millions and millions of dollars and, and to deliver a, deliver a series. And it was terrifying. And I didn't have... I really, because, you know, it was kind of just me. There wasn't a lot of people I could turn to. Yeah. Uh, and I ended up building a relationship with a guy by the name of Peter Sussman. And Peter Sussman is a, another great friend and a great mentor. And he used to run Alliance Atlantis, which was sort of, a, you know, a big yeah. uh, behemoth uh, sort of production studio, production company. They owned channels. 
Um, you know, and then they were bought, uh, you know, in a great deal uh, that, and he, he went from going from Alliance Atlantis where they sold the company, they sold their biggest show, which was CSI, uh, and he started a bank that would, that would sort of help producers and, and um, help cash flow shows and, and that sort of thing. So he became sort of almost the epicenter for independent production in Canada. Yeah. And we developed a relationship and, and he really advised me well on, on Spun Out and helped kind of put some of the pieces together. And after the first season of Spun Out, uh, he's like, you know, Andrew, let's you know get to know each other a little bit and let's go to a baseball game. So we went uh, to go see a Jays game. Um, and, you know, we sat there, we talked for eight innings. And then in the ninth inning, um, Peter said, so do you think you could take on another show? Would you be interested in producing another show? I was like, yeah, you know, I've, I feel I've the first season of Spun Out under my belt. I know how the how it works. I know how to make TV. I know how to build teams and I have a team in place. I think we could, you know, slot in another show pretty easily. He's like, okay. Uh, a friend of mine looks like he's, he's going to have a show sold to CBC. Mm -hmm. uh, he's looking for a producer to work with. Um, you know, maybe I can make an introduction and see if there's something there. By the way, his name's Eugene Levy. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I was just like, okay, this is, it was the end of the game and it kind of like the night ended on that. Yeah. And the next day I, you know, it's one of these things in this business and I'm sure it's the same on the music side. You never really know what's real, what isn't people yeah, talk yeah. like, you know, you can't take anything to the bank yeah. uh, until you actually can. Yeah. Right. And so the next day I, I sent Peter an, an email and I said, listen, Peter, I, I just wanted to let you know, I'm really, you know, I, I, I want to reinforce how, how, interested I am in working on that, that new show. Um, you know, let me know what I can do. Let me know when he's talked to. And who's this Eugene Levy guy? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I've, yeah. I think I've heard of him. Yeah. Is he um, a shortstop or? Yeah. But no, but like, I mean, it, it's such a, it was such a wild moment because I, you know, when I first saw American Pie, I actually saw it in LA uh, at Universal Studios, and oh, it just yeah. was actually a very meaningful moment for me in yeah. my life. And I just remember coming out of the theater and just being blown away by Eugene's performance and just being a you know, proud Canadian, and then sort of come here, and I'm, I'm so close. I'm a one degree of separate, or two degrees of separation from Eugene. Yeah. And uh, so I send a note to Peter the next day, and I say, you know, I'm still interested, you know, what, tell me what I can do, and I don't hear from him. I don't, okay. there's, there's crickets for, oh yeah, you can play the crickets out of that. Yeah, there you go. There that's you go. what it was. See, I can use it. Yeah, now. that's good. That's, we've been waiting for a moment. Um, um, the, for two weeks, I didn't hear anything. Uh -huh. And then two, you know, and I, and it was one of these things where it's like, I, it was too good to be true. Obviously, it it's not going to happen. And then two weeks later, I get a phone call from somebody from Peter's office saying, uh, Andrew, just want to let you know, uh, you've been approved by CBC to produce the show. Uh, next thing you have to, you know, we want you to meet Eugene. So come on in tomorrow and meet with Eugene. Wow. So I went, I went to Peter's office the next day, met with you, and it was very, I just didn't know, I had just had this nervous energy, and I didn't really know kind of what to expect, and Eugene came in, and it was Eugene Levy, and uh, we just talked for like, you know, 15 minutes, and at the, at the end of the meeting, he said, okay, well, if, if Peter thinks you're the guy to do this, let's do it. So, and that was it, and then we kind of just started putting the pieces together, on the on the series and you know working with just an incredible 
creative team. Um, and you know, we, we found a way to make it work. And those guys have been, the levies have been so supportive. Uh, you know, I, I work very closely with Eugene, very closely with Dan, very closely with Fred, who's Eugene's brother. And, yeah. and, um, it's just been an incredible sort of life changing experience for me. And it's really helped. You know, I did have, I did have a big show on air with, with spun out, but just being connected to Shit's Creek for the past five years has really kind of changed everything, changed the conversation. Yeah. It's another, uh, it's like getting that door into CTV that first time. Yeah. It's just another, yeah. another door that opened up. Right. Yeah. And you know, like I was in LA last week and, uh, I, I normally stay on Sunset Boulevard and Whiskey A Go Go, which is this you know iconic club and and music venue, yeah. is wrapped in Shit's Creek posters. No way. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it's just like how did this happen? Like and yeah. and it, and the, I remember the first season I went down to New York with the team for some press, and you know I'll never forget this. It was like late one night. We'd been the 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 cast had been going to shows and we went to a uh, small party because Chris Elliott had just done uh, Letterman. And then it was like two in the morning and we're all like, there's a, there's a billboard, there's a Schitt's Creek billboard in Times Square. And we all, there's like eight of us. We got into a SUV and we just all, uh, it's like two or three in the morning. There was nobody there, but we just went to go look at the the Schitt's Creek billboard. And it's just like, how, how did this happen? Like this is, this is not, Canada. This is not, this is Times Square. And then to have moments like that where, you know, and that, that just doesn't happen. And, and I know that and other people in Canada know that. So it's a very special show. It's a very special moment in time yeah. for me. And, you know, hopefully, you know, you kind of hope there's going to be more shows like that in your career. But this, I think this one is pretty, is pretty special. Yeah, I would guess so. So as far as being the, the executive producer on that show and, and, um, maybe explain to you know some people who'd be listening your details a bit more and what you would you be involved with uh, salary pitches and all that stuff? Yeah. Do you look after that and things yeah. as well. I mean, basically, you know, the first year of a show is often the the toughest one because you're yeah. you're kind of building the, the the architecture and the blueprints for for the show. So that's where you put all the pieces together on the business side and listen i don't i don't touch the creative on that show it's in good hands with with dan and eugene and you know it's just they you 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 know they know what they're doing so my job is just to make sure that what they get on the page is executable on the screen so we built put the teams together and it's really you know, I work closely with, as I mentioned, I work closely with lawyers and the banks. And so it's, you know, first of all, it's making sure that we can cash flow the show, that we have enough money or yeah. that it's budgeted properly. So I work with, a t- you know, what's called a line producer who we budget the show. Um, and then we take that to the broadcaster and we sell them on that. And then we talk to the bank to make sure that they'll lend against what yeah. the broadcaster is committing, what our tax credit calculations are and kind of put the business financing side together. Uh, and then it's working closely with the lawyers to negotiate with, um, with cast. And that's done very closely with, with the levies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just putting all those, those pieces together that you actually need to, to execute on a, on a script to get it to, to the screen. 
And I'm, I'm assuming none of that happens overnight. That's a bit of a process. No, you got to no. wait on everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, these are big ships that you're kind yeah. of trying to steer into a direction. And especially when there's there's multiple stakeholders, there's stakeholders on the creative side, there's stakeholders on the talent side, there's stakeholders on the broadcast side, on the distribution side. So yeah. it's really a lot of my job is just sort of making is connecting those people and making sure everything's moving forward. Yeah. All those pieces are moving forward. So when the show gets to the position it is now, mm-hmm. uh, when you're doing a new season, putting all those numbers together again, does it get a little easier each year that the success yeah. of the show is? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, there's a limit on how much money you can raise yeah. too. So you're always up against that, and you're always feeling kind of the downward pressure on the budget. Um, it's not because we're in Canada. And, you know, just the nature of the business, there's never enough money. So we're always really, you know, we have enough to make the show, but we're always squeezing and looking for ways to get what money we do have on the screen. And listen, it's a big budget show. So uh, we we do have resource and we are supported, but you want to do as much as you can with the resource that you have. Uh, And but to answer your question, things do become a bit easier because you have your relationships in place. You have a rhythm to the the production cycle that you know and your team knows so it does get a get a little bit easier but you also never want to get complacent no. and, and take your eye off the ball or anything like that so because there are things that you that can slip through the cracks yeah but no it's a great team and and you know we're supported by the broadcaster the canadian broadcaster the u.s broadcaster the international distributor the banks the lawyers all these these are all the people that come together to to get the show where it needs to be yeah uh yeah it must be pretty exciting it's uh, really exciting it's really exciting so the new show with jan mm-hmm. let's talk about that yeah, a little yeah bit. i'd love to talk about that um that's that's pretty exciting um jan, it's really exciting jan is pretty she's uh, awesome yeah she's, yeah, she's multi-talent best. you know she's has it all i mean she's that that type of person um how did this show come about what whose idea was this show this was Jan's idea. Was it? Yeah. So basically, um, you know, I had I had a mutual friend. Did she pitch you to come here? And then you said, "I'll think about it for a while." <laughs> well, it's not far from yeah. that. So so basically, we had a mutual we have a mutual friend. Um, so there's one of our lawyers that was we were working with on um, Schitt's Creek is a woman named Portia Gauthier. Her sister is a, has a, she she works in entertainment. She's an entertainment lawyer. Her sister is a woman by the name of Leah Goche. She uh, works in television on the factual side, sort of lifestyle, reality, factual side. Yeah. She's good friends with Leah, or she's good friends with Jan. So there's sort of this connection made to Jan, yeah. and Jan, you know, had seen what what television I'd been making, and and appreciated it. And she'd been approached many, many times to be on TV shows, to be cast on shows. So a, a connection was made, an int- introduction was made. And Jan called me, so we set a time to call, and it was just the, the two of us on the phone. And you know, she said, I, I'm thinking now might be the time for me to make a TV show. Yeah. You know, she's like, lots of people have approached me, lots of producers have approached me, but I really want it to be right. I want the time to be right. I want the show to be right. Um, so le- you know, I'm open to starting a conversation. So that was really nice to hear. It was you know an honor to to talk to her and to kind of hear what she had to say. Um, and 
you know, for me, it's always like, let's let's make this easy. Let's not let's not force anything. So we said, you know, let's take our time, figure out what the show is you want to make, work with Leah, um, and why don't we just start kind of spitballing some ideas? And I uh, I have uh, there's 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 um, somebody who works from at Project Ten, a guy by the name of Ben Murray, who oversees development and production for Project Ten. And he got involved and we just started this kind of conversation. There was four of us. It was me, it was Ben, it was Jan, and it was Leah. And it's just like, how do we, how do we build something here? What is it? And, and, you know, we start, we came up with an idea or they came up with an idea. They bounced it off us. We we're like, okay, there's something, there's really something here. And we're like, we know that we need to add a creative piece to this, um, a creative powerhouse to the team. Um, somebody who's done scripted television on the creative side. Yeah. Um, so we've, we met a number of writers and we found a woman by the name of Jenica Harper to join the team. She came from, from sort of scripted television. And the th- then we just kind of handed it back to Leah, Jan and Jenica. And it's like, okay, figure out, figure out what the show is. So we spent about a year developing it just um, internally before even talking to broadcasters. Yeah about it and um they came up with this idea that was great so jan sort of plays a version of herself it's kind of like a larry david Kirby enthusiasm type show um but it's funny but it has a huge heart and it's really about jan it's it's you know it's I, it's arguably semi-autobiographical because yeah. she played her her name is jan arden in the show yeah um and and she touches on celebrity and fame and kind of chasing it, but she also really gets into some personal stuff too. You know, yeah. she's, um, you know, she's had to deal with a, a, a mother who was fa- facing Alzheimer's and dementia and who passed away yeah. recently. And but that that stuff, you know, Jan will be the first to tell you. You have to find the humor in that. You really have to find a way to kind of push through and kind of enjoy life and and find the silver lining and that's really what this show is meant to do so we tackle that stuff we steer right into it and it's real it's honest and it's like if anybody who's seen jan in concert that's what she's like she's hilarious but you go from laughing like like a maniac to just crying like a baby at at her shows like it and it's gonna open book it's it's incredible and the show is so in jan's voice and she She's amazing. Like this, she really sunk her teeth into it and she carries the show, which is a very hard job to do on screen. She's the star of it and she has an amazing performance from beginning to end. Um, But when it came to kind of the selling of the show, which was kind of interesting, is that we always felt like the right home for it was Bell Media and CTV. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons is... um, the president of Bell Media is a guy by the name of Randy Lennox, and Randy used to be the president of Universal Music. Universal Music was Jan's, or is Jan's label, mm-hmm. and it just kind of, we were able to connect the dots there. We also worked, I got I got to know and work very closely with Jan's manager, a guy by the name of Bruce Allen, mm-hmm. and Bruce Allen is just sort of a force in entertainment. Yeah, know. it's pretty big. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, it, you know, and he's just been so supportive of what we've been doing, and Randy's been so supportive, and it's just, it's such a great, story of how the show got got to where it is right now and now we're 
you know, now we're a couple, we're, you know, a month, month and a half away from it going to air. And I really feel we have something so special that Jan fans, but also, you know, people just discovering her for the first time are really going to yeah. love. You know. Yeah, because it's going to be a big market, younger big, market, yeah. who are not going to know her as well yeah. as the older market. Um, and it'll be a new, new life there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, Jan is so smart with in terms of building her career and... Um, Bruce is so smart, like, you know, they really get how, how to do that. And yeah. this is this is a piece of that story. Um, but, you know, Bell Media is throwing everything at it as well. So it's just it's one of these great positive stories of how to get something going and get getting something made. And soon we'll release it to the world and see what see what happens. Yeah, that must be exciting and must be yeah, nerve wracking at yeah. the same time because you want it to be really great and yeah. accepted and but you just don't know. You don't until know until you, you know. No. Yeah, yeah. And but I think you know we you kind of get sort of anecdotal feedback from people that have seen cuts and yeah. that have worked on the show and stuff like that. So it, it feels like we're onto something. But yeah. you really don't know. You know. And you always have that risk too. You know, you release that first night. You never know. Trump might say something <laughs> in the news. All of a sudden, you know, everyone's watching the news, yeah. and and your first night gets preempted yeah. by something that happens in the world. And then, then yeah. does that change the shift of, you know, where it's supposed to be? You just never know. Yeah. With yeah. TV, thanks especially. for putting that thought in my mind. Yeah. No, <laughs> sleep on that one. Yes. Yeah. No, it's true. Like you, you, there's so much you can't control. Yeah. In this business, and especially when you're scheduled. Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. yeah. But it's uh must be pretty exciting though. I mean It's really exciting. Especially it's when you've really seen exciting. on the Super Bowl and Yeah. Uh, that's uh No, I'm very proud. Great. I'm very proud of the team. I'm very proud of how we put it together, the relationships around it and the final product too. Like it's Where'd you uh where'd you shoot? We shot in Calgary. Oh good. Yeah, so yeah. that was something that was important to all of us. It was important to Jan, but yeah. we really wanted to celebrate Calgary. Um, so Calgary is the setting. It's, yeah. it's a bit of a love letter to Calgary in terms of the beauty shots of the city. And, uh, and it was great. Like, you know, I spent a fair bit of time in, in Calgary last fall and I hope to do it again this year. And for, for many years, I was impressed with the city. It had changed a lot since when I lived uh, out West. Yeah. It's a great city. I it's like a it great a city. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It seems that it's moved where a lot of the other cities haven't. Yeah. You know? Well, one thing that I really liked about it was just sort of the public art installations yeah. around. Like you just turn a corner and there's a beautiful piece of public art and it's surprising and progressive, too. And it takes, you know, it takes sort of uh, municipal leadership to put that in place. Yeah. Yeah. How many episodes did you do? We did six episodes. Six, yeah. six episodes. Yeah. So, um once the six episodes are done, I guess at that point you you find out whether you're going to do yeah. the next. Yeah, our next fingers run. are crossed. Yeah, hopefully we can keep that going. So how soon do you think you find out until um, uh, you can start thinking about the the next? The yeah, next well, I mean we're thinking about it already. Yeah. Um, um, so we're starting to think about what future episodes and future seasons look like. Um, but in terms of a commitment, I think you know it, there's a process you have to go through, and yeah. it's you know my I. Th you know, we'll probably have to get feedback and numbers on a couple of episodes, maybe maybe the whole run before we start having real serious conversations about, yeah. you know, what are we making a season two? How do we make a season two? What does that look like? But That's, again, we're all the team. It's a solid team. We co-partner or we co-produce the series with a 
uh, Calvary Production Company. Yeah. Um, so it's a solid team all around. Um, and you know, I think, I think the show will will do well. But we have all the you know we have all the pieces and all yeah. the team team members to to, to feels keep going. good. Yeah, it feels yeah. really good. So what else? Uh, do you have anything else in the works? Yeah. Are you? Uh, um, I mean, on? there's, there's, <laughs> there's always there's something. Right? I mean, I, yeah, it's sort of a, a bit of a laundry list. But we always have shows in development with um, with broadcasters here in Canada. But we also we opened we opened a, uh, an office in Los Angeles three years ago, and it's really been focusing on development. Yeah. So basically, we're investing in finding scripts, building building content around um, voices that 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 speak to us. Um, and this year, um, in the next few months, we're going to be rolling it. We shot a couple presentation pilots uh, that were that we funded ourselves. Uh, so we're going to start taking those out in the U.S. and hopefully we can get some traction on some shows down there. Um, we're we're involved in a, a new show, um, uh, a tween show that, mm -hmm. that's going to go to air in Canada. We're going to shoot that this summer. Uh, we're involved in a pilot on a, a show that goes into production next week. There's a lot. We, yeah. we definitely keep busy, and you'll like it's a it's a pretty small company, but we're a pretty nimble company, um, um, and we're at a really interesting time where you know reputationally we're in a good place, and people yeah. know that we're that we're good people to work with, and that we get things made too, which is kind of when you're looking to partner. That that's sort of what the creative side wants to know is that we'll get it. You know, they will get the best shot if they work with somebody like us. Yeah. But yeah, there's lots. We're pitching all. We're building a pitch slate that we're going to take out in Canada. The U.S. side is busy and active, and then we're busy on the production side here. So, as a young person wanting to get into TV production and yeah. and all that type of thing, uh, you know, this is probably a, a question you get asked lots. But um, what what steps do you think are important for yeah. a young person to get into? into the TV industry? Yeah, it's a good question. And, uh, you know, I have a actually a real commitment to talking to, to, you know, young filmmakers, young TV makers. I work very closely with the Toronto Film School yeah. here in Toronto. I'm the executive producer in residence there. So that means I, I spend a lot of time talking to students and kind of answering that question exactly. So, you know, the way I, I answer it is, you kind of have to think about what are the tools you need for a career in this. And yeah. the, one of the tricky things about this is that um, it's not a resume business. It's not something where you apply for a job and you get a job. So, yeah. so how, do you, how do you position yourself most favorably to be noticed and, and have somebody sort of hire you or invest in you, that sort of thing. So for me, kind of what I speak to are you know, you need, you probably need an educational foundation. So there, there's real value in going to school to kind of understand how production works, to understand, you know, if you want to be a writer, what are the mechanics of writing? If you want to be a director, what, is, what does that mean? What are the skills you need to get? Just to get that, that foundation. Um, and then it's, it's a relationship business. So it's about, you know, finding your network of people that you can support and they can support you. Uh, and I think, you know, it's important for those relationships. It's important for a lot of those relationships to be people at the same age and stage as you. Yeah. But it's also really important to find people, find relationships and build relationships with people that are 
five years older than you, 10 years older than you, 20 years older than you. So you can kind of learn from those experiences and really um, um, kind of have that, those mentor relationships. Um, and, you know, so, so like education, relationships, but then it's about sort of, you know, personal characteristics. Like you, you kind of have to be a risk taker. Yeah. And you kind of have to know what you want to do. You know, when you know what you want to do and you have a goal, things become a bit easier because you make decisions and choices based on where you want to get. So those are kind of the, the sort of the broad piece of advice I give. But for me, like, you know, I always I've always had a goal. I've always had had something that I've been working towards. And, you know, when you have when your goal is I want to produce a television series every single situation you get into and every single decision you make is, will this help me get to be a series producer or won't it? And then you kind of kind of filter down and over time, um, you start to get closer and closer to, to where you want to be. And it takes time. Like, you know, I'm not the first to say this, but you know, sometimes it takes 15 years to be an overnight success. Yeah. Oh, it does. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Even hard to hear sometimes for somebody young, yeah. who kind of just wants to go and take over the world and kind of well, leave their mark. Yeah, I think young kids nowadays, because everything is instant to them, they want yeah. their career to be instant too. Yeah. Um, and that's a tough thing to, to sit back and relax. I mean, you can, you know, we were talking before we started the podcast and how we've kind of changed points in a career where we find we're mentoring where we yeah. didn't before. And, um, you know, and I look at meeting younger people uh, and I'm sure you feel the same way. You can pretty well tell in a few minutes whether yeah. someone's got something or not. Yeah. Without even knowing their resume or knowing what they do, there's just something about certain people that you find there's like that, that drive you said yeah. or that excitement about something. And yeah, an energy, a spirit, like yeah. something that you can just There's lots of things you can still teach. Yeah. Um, and when you're young, you kind of have to learn anyways. Um, but yeah, there's that something about, you know, that that energy and being excited and really want yeah. to be the go-getter or someone who's consistent, you know, maybe someone's calling and wants to meet, but you know, just calls once. Right. Yeah. You it's know. showing up. Yeah. yeah. So you may not take that call, but if they've called 15 yeah. times, maybe eventually you're going to go, okay, maybe I better just yeah. talk. You no, know? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's Cause true. there might be something worthwhile here. Well, I'll tell you one thing that has surprised me about, you know, these are students, Every class I go in to talk to, I always leave my email address and and say, you know, reach out to me anytime. And I, I'm committed to getting back to everybody who gets in touch with me. I'll go for coffee. I will have a phone call. The amount of people that get in touch with me is very close to zero. Yeah. Which is surprising. Like, it was surprising to me when I first discovered that. Like, that, you know, here... and And then the people that do reach out. Those are the ones that are the ambitious ones that are driven, that really feel, well, you feel have a real shot at, at making it. But yeah. I would say sort of the conversion rate from me putting my email address on a board to them emailing is probably less than 1%. It's pretty scary, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know, and I think that's pretty, you know, I think about, uh, we have, uh, our family has our theater that we've yeah. been running for, this is our 19th season. And, you know, a while ago we used to have uh, events where local businesses in our area would come and we'd talk business, would be a speaker or something. Right. 
and and in our area we're basically the biggest tourist attraction yeah so all these people are coming in that own these little stores and b&b's and all these things that could take advantage of knowing that there's you're a draw yeah yeah, knowing that there's 30 40,000 people coming to this venue and basically leaving because they don't know anything else to do and we had these events two or three times and there would even be a little brochure swap where they put you know on the table and stuff and people would at the end you know everything would be done they pick up the brochures and walk out the door and go home yeah and i sat there a couple of times and was like i can't believe anyone there was no one that came up and said hey could we leave our brochures here <laughs> right or yeah. could we work together somehow or i know you've got a lot of i mean yeah. people just and i'm thinking okay you just spent a whole day out of your life to come here and communicate with other people that are in your area then you just got up and left it's remarkable. It's, yeah, yeah, it's and, like, and it's, why did you come? Yeah, and you realize the solution is so easy. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's sticking around. It's building a relationship. Yeah, like it's not. It's not hard. And I think, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the type of person or, you know, I go into classrooms and say that that exact same thing, and I say, you know, most people are going to quit. Yeah. But then I don't get the emails. Like it's 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 really interesting, you know. And and I you know maybe. Maybe there's an intimidation factor. I don't think I am. I try to be very open, but, but, and I'm offering this, and I've told them that I've met with students. I'm there to help and this sort of thing. But, yeah, yeah it's fascinating. It's really fascinating. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of strange. I mean, you take, you know, the people in your life that you still you, you maybe go back to Brian Edwards, who I know got together. You guys went, yeah, and out to eat and talked for a long time. He's told me, yeah, and. Uh, and they're, he's really great at building those relationships and, yes, and keeping those relationships. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. when we tour and I work in all the time and, and we do a lot of work together, um, I see every, and it's from every direction you could think of. You know, he's got a relationship with someone in WestJet. He's got a relationship with someone yeah. at this place. And, and it's just like, wow, how do you manage to create all those relationships? And, but it's very crucial and very important to what he does. Um, and well, yeah, he yeah. lives and dies on his relationships. No, so, if yeah. something goes wrong or there's something that needs to be done, um, he can make a phone yeah. call and usually something gets done. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And he's really good at um, making those relationships both ways. Yeah. So that right. he feels right. he's giving yeah, you know, no, he's, he's, yeah, make sure they get something. Um, so when I've learned a lot from yeah. Brian, and he, when I kind of look at the the people in my life who've got me where I am, he's he's top five, maybe top three. Like yeah. he's he's really professionally and and as a friend, like I've got learned so much from him. He's supported me in ways that uh, he didn't need to, uh, and it's really you know and and it's a close relationship and, and we connected and I, I've experienced that with Brian. I know exactly, you know, you feel like you're getting more than you're giving with, with him. And and it's, it's special. He's a very supportive friend. And also, you know, he's been through it too. Like, you know, he started young and he kind of, you know, he was ambitious and driven and took risks. And, you know, I think he, when he sees that in, 
people, he understands the importance of supporting that. Yeah. Yeah. And no, he for sure, like I, my life would be very different if it wasn't for my relationship with him and kind of the support and access he gave me. Yeah. It's over the years. Yeah. It's really, he's really great for that. So let's wrap this up with, um, looking on the next 10, 20 years. Do you have, do you look, (laughs) do you look far in advance or you just a person who kind of, kind of, you know, takes it as it, as it's going along? No, I'm all, I mean, I'm always, I don't know if I'm looking 20 years ahead yet, but I, I think about that a lot. Um, but definitely, definitely five years ahead. I really, you know, I still want to be, you know, have the Canadian side making making television here. I'm finding new shows, but I really hope Jan is a huge hit yeah. um, um, five years from now. And I hope it has, uh, I, I expect it to have a global audience, um, you know, or at least a, a U.S. audience um, as, as the show builds and, and that moves forward. But also... I, you know, I'd like, I believe that, uh, an object emotion stays in motion. So it's just, it's finding ways to, um, um, increase bandwidth, increase my ability to take on new projects that excite me, um, in Canada, but in the U S as well. I really am spending a lot of time focusing on building the U S side of the business, trying to kind of support that and figure out how to make that work. The businesses are a bit different. But in you know in five years, I'd I'd like to think we have a couple shows on the air in Canada, a couple shows on the air in the U.S., and we're just building out the production side of the company. Um, when I look but further ahead, it's building a library um, for the company and maybe looking at distribution, building infrastructure that we can kind of just create efficiencies, like you know building edit suites or having sound stages, that sort of thing. But yeah. to continue to grow. I think I want to grow it out of Canada, like Toronto's my home now, Canada's my home, but I am very much somebody who lives here but thinks thinks internationally, thinks yeah. globally, and kind of just building those networks of relationships in Canada, in the U.S., but around the world, too. I love meeting new people. That's something that helps, you know, that, that, that excites me. I like looking for new opportunities. That excites me. Um, and I, I like moving forward. I just sort of, and I also like that I never know what is going to happen today. Yeah. You know, I like waking up and it's just, you know, I'm not going and doing something routine. It's every day is different. Yeah. You know, and so I get a lot out of that. I really enjoy what I do. Um, some days are a lot harder than others, but I've been through enough hard days to know that you get through them. Yeah. You know, sometimes they're, they're difficult and you have to have difficult conversations or solve a difficult problem. Um, but you do come out stronger and the you go home is, and have a glass of wine. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> and then you just hope that you kind of people see what you're doing. They like what you're doing. They're excited about what you're doing. You build strong teams. You elevate. I'm very much about elevating the people around me. Like how do yeah. how do I how and and my management style is very much about elevate, giving people the, the tools they need to succeed, supporting them, giving them autonomy, um, you know, stepping back and, and hope and not getting in the way. I, I can get in the way. <laughs> Nobody needs me in the way. Yeah. So I, I really think when you, you surround yourself by the right, with the right people, support them, you know, part of my vision is 
my team's vision too. Like yeah. I really just want to make sure we're, we're all moving in the right direction and who knows where we'll end up, but we, sh we should check in in 20 years. It's gonna oh, I know. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> I can yeah, guarantee I that. I look back 20 years and I was like, man, it's a lot of changed. No kidding. So we'll wrap on one more quick question. Yep. Um, when you go home and I want to watch TV, yeah. besides the shows you produce and have, yeah. you know, work around, what, what, what do you gravitate towards? <clears throat> I, well, I gravitate to, well, I'll tell you a couple of things. So I, I gravitate towards comedy. That yeah. is really kind of my, my comfort food. Um, we talked man, earlier, we're both Howard Stern fans. Yeah, I'm a huge Howard Stern yeah. fan. Uh, I get a lot of inspiration from Howard Stern. Yeah. I, um, I just, what he's done. And, and believe me, one of my go-to movies is Private Parts. It's, it holds up. I, I love those origin stories. Yeah. Um, where it's against all odd stories, like, you know, how he kind of changed radio, changed entertainment, and the most unlikely human to do that. And yeah. I feel I can relate to that to a certain degree. I love, I love that. I get an inspiration from a lot of those stories. Like, kind of my heroes are Howard Stern, like Dwayne Johnson is one, you yeah. know, like Eminem, like these people that changed the world, um, but from very humble beginnings like and and took risks and believed in themselves and were you know were willing to roll the dice but um in terms of what i watch i, I gravitate towards comedy generally half hour comedies uh i, I you know serialized comedy so you know uh, shows i watch are kind of like hbo shows like crashing mm -hmm. uh, that's one that's one that i'm watching but uh if i'm ever just looking for something to watch. I don't want to think too too hard about making a choice or start yeah. a new series. I go back to the office. Oh yeah, every time. Yeah, yeah. And I still enjoy uh, uh, reruns of Seinfeld to yeah. the Curb Your Enthusiasm. Like those are ones that that you know really I, I get a lot of joy out of. Um, and then another guilty pleasure is uh, you know like Adam Sandler movies. Oh, for yeah. some reason. <laughs> yes, I can't. I can't stop. I will. Tune into Adam Sandler movies. I uh, shows up. I went to see Adam uh, in Vegas. He was doing a stand up stand up yeah. with um, a bunch of his friends, and um, I was really bummed. Yeah, I didn't find him funny. Oh, don't at all. Bad. Yeah, I know, and I was so bummed because I was, you know, such a big fan, and uh, yeah, he, you know, he kind of was cl the closer, and um, yeah, and I just, I don't know, I. I thought I was maybe I was just expecting more or something different, um, but as a stand-up, I just I didn't get yeah, it. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm a, and a big stand-up fan. I mean, yeah. I love. I mean, I think it's great, uh, especially in the world where you're doing comedy um, shows that being in the comedy the comedy world is just taken off. Like stand-up comedy yeah. is just yeah. bigger than it's ever been. Yeah, um, and that all helps. I think. Um, but it's interesting uh, seeing all those, these new stars and old stars that are becoming super famous and being famous from doing podcasts and uh, right, exactly. like Rogan and, yep. um, you know, who's yep. really popular, but he's, you know. Well, the thing about, here's the thing about stand up, what's amazing and why it's kind of having a moment right now is because it's about one point of view. Stand up for stand up to work. It's about specificity. It's about one person's take on the world. Yeah. And if you look at the shows that work on TV, and the movies that work, 
I was sort of saying earlier, we really moved away from broad comedy to very specific comedy. Yeah. And that's about, uh, that's about a singular voice. And stand-up is about a singular voice. And that sort of, it's transitioned, that, that appetite for a singular voice has trans- transitioned from stand-up being the only place to where TV is. So where you're, you're now getting the big stars, the really big stars in TV now are the showrunners, the show creators. I mean, you still have the on-screen stars, but yeah. it's impossible to find voices. Finding voices that work for TV is very hard, but you, when you do find them, you build shows around them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's sort of, that's a stand-up sensibility. Yeah. Um, so I get it. I, I, and that's sort of, you're buying into a voice, you're buying into a character, you're buying into a point of view, and it works. It really works. And that's, you know, I was always drawn to stand-up, you know. I've gone back and looked at, I, at Eddie Murphy, and you can't. I do not recommend going back and watching all yeah. <laughs> Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I've done a little bit but, of that, yeah. too. But, yeah. but that's where, that was like a point of view. Yeah. Dice was a point of view. Like these big, huge names. George Carlin was a point of view. Um, um, you know, that, that's, that, that's what really got me interested in comedy. And things like Codco, that was a point of view. That was like yeah. a voice kids in the hall like those were very specific sensibilities and that's sort of what really drew me into to comedy so when we're when i'm on the hunt for for show ideas and pitches and that sort of thing it's all it's always like and I, my advice to writers is write something only you can write tell a story only you can write and then then you don't have to you also don't ever have to worry about anybody stealing it either yeah, if you're the only person who can tell this story you're onto something. Yeah, I've had people come in and pitch, and it's just they, they pitch the broadest story possible, and it's just like, why 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 are you the one to tell this story? Yeah, that why, makes total to sense. me the yeah. the pitch, you know, my answer or my reaction to most pitching is, why you? Why why is this your story? And if you can't answer it in a personal way, it's not it's not right. It's yeah. not the right story, you know. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Well. Thanks for taking uh, a bunch of your time oh, tonight. Yeah, my pleasure. I know this you're a busy guy, yeah. and uh, it's been a pleasure getting to uh, know more about you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, we should follow up. Uh, in tw- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't need to wait that long. But, but yeah, let's let's keep checking in every once. In a yeah, it'd be great. I'm, I'm really excited to see the new show, and uh, um, looking yeah. forward to that one for sure. Well, I'll have to find some local TV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, you do. You'll need to update uh, your. I gotta go out and get some like uh, coat hangers <laughs> yes, up in the television. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thanks so much, Darren. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah.